This morning, we're still in our series, Touch One. The, the one I want to touch this morning is you. <laughs> the individuals I would like to see touched are, are all the people in this room and your lives and your hearts. Uh, next, well, in February, starting in the beginning of February, uh, we're starting a new series, What on Earth Am I Here For? And I'm really excited about that. But right now, I want to focus on what God has for us and touching our own hearts and touching our lives because regardless of who you are or probably how old you are, every single one of us goes through difficulties, hardships, stress and strain in our lives. And often the question is, how do you deal with it? How do you, how do you, how do you overcome it? Speaking of the thorn in his side, Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong." The answer to Paul's prayer didn't come in the form that he expected. That's not what he was expecting. The thorn remained, and now Paul had to figure out, he had to decide how he was going to deal with this. Cried out three times, God answered his prayer. He said, the thorn, the physical thorn will remain, whatever it was, whatever, the, whatever he was dealing with, that's going to remain but my grace is sufficient for you. I can handle, I can give you the strength to handle, and I can handle with you anything that this world brings before you. Because my strength is made perfect in your weakness. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, it tells us that the grace of Christ was adequate for Paul. It was adequate even in his hardship, even in his weakness. It was sufficient, it was adequate, because divine power finds its full scope and strength in our weakness. It's so funny if you think about it, how the Bible takes the world's wisdom and turns it upside down. It's exactly what's happening here. Divine power finds its full scope and strength in our weakness. And the more we acknowledge our weakness, the more power we're given to overcome it. The more we we cry out to God and, and just admit to each other and to God that we're weak, the more power that we receive to overcome it. In Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 16, Paul says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. And then in a passage we've all read before, most of us have seen before, in Philippians chapter 4, in verse 13, it reminds us, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. I can do everything. I can overcome whatever I have to face in life through Christ who gives me the strength to do it. See, both weakness and power existed simultaneously in the life of Paul. 
and in the ministry, the life and death and ministry of Jesus Christ. They existed simultaneously. The cross is the supreme example of power in weakness. The cross of Jesus Christ, the life and death of Jesus Christ, is the supreme example of power in weakness. It comes as a servant. Power in weakness. God gives us the strength that we need through his Holy Spirit. He gives us the strength that we need through the Spirit, and then he sustains that strength through the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So when we're going through hardships, when we're going through difficulties, God gives us his power through his spirit. He re- we receive the spirit of God, the power of the spirit of God. And then God sustains that power in our lives through the resurrection of Jesus Christ so that we don't lose hope and we don't lose patience. How often do we go through something in life? How often do you watch other people outside of the church, go through something in their lives and their, their almost immediate reaction, once they find out it's not going to get any better, they, they, they're, they lose hope or they lose patience. Why is this happening to me? I don't understand. This isn't fair. They shake their fists. They do what they need to do. There's anger all around. But through the power that God gives us, through the strength that he gives us through his spirit and the sustaining power of Jesus Christ and his resurrection, we don't don't have to lose hope. We don't have to lose patience. God told Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. Paul says, Lord, here's what I want. Here's what I'd like you to do for me. Here's what I'd like you to do for me. It's not working. Here's what I'd like you to do for me. And God responds by saying, my grace, Paul, is sufficient for, for you. Paul may not have gotten exactly what he was asking for, but he was given something of even greater value. He was given something of greater value. You know, so many times we go through life and we we think we know what we need. We think we know and we just tell God what we think we need. And God should be the magic genie and just give it to us. But God says, I have a larger plan in mind for your life and for everything else. I know what's best for you. And I will give you what you need. And I will help you. And whatever life throws your way, whatever comes at you, whatever you need to overcome, my strength will be in you and you will overcome it. Charles Hodges wrote this. These words should be engraved on the palm of every believer's hand. My grace is sufficient for you. That should be engraved. I think think we should write it almost like tattoo it on our foreheads. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. These are things that we really don't understand. Sometimes we just come to church. We come to church because that's what people do. They either go to this or they go to a church and we go through our religious types of things. And that's not what we're talking about here. This is something you truly need to understand and grasp. This is, this is reality. This is reality. That God can do things in your life that you are incapable of doing on your own. To the point that you can't even fathom dealing with some of the things that you need to deal with. And God says, I can not only fathom them, if you have to go through them, I will give you strength to overcome them, regardless of what it is. To the point of death, I will give you strength to overcome them. I will work in such a way in your life that you will feel the intensity of who I am. 
and the power that you have through the Holy Spirit of God in your life because you accepted Christ into your heart and to the power of the resurrection. I will make that plain to you. And the most most significant way is when you're going through a hard time, when you're at your weakest, then I will show my strength through you. Paul wanted Paul wanted the natural thorn to be removed from his life, but he was given something even greater. He was given something even greater, supernatural grace. God said, I'm not going to give you this. I'm going to give you something even greater, Paul. I'm going to give you something that you can carry for for the rest of your life, that will sustain you the rest of your life. I'm not going to take the natural thorn away. I'm going to give you supernatural grace. And, And here's the thing. God uses the personal pronouns, you and my it's it's very interesting. He uses them as a clear statement of his personal involvement in our lives. Our God, you, we all need to understand this. You know, we hear songs of, you know, God is out there somewhere and blah, 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 and they all sound nice and he's looking down at us from far away. It's not, that's not the case. God is intimately involved in my life. God is not, is not an outside observer of my pain, my suffering, my hardship. He is a participant with me in my pain. Jesus Christ is the perfect mediator between God and man because Jesus walked the earth and experienced what I experienced and even more so. So when I cry out to him over a relationship issue in my life, when I cry out to him because I found out I have cancer, when I cry out to him because I found out something is wrong or I don't understand or I'm emotionally just distraught or things are coming back to my mind that happened to me years ago, it's that God is not some outside observer watching and saying, well, I'll do the best I can. He is a participant with us in our pain. He understands it. He goes through it with us. My and you, those are personal, personally involved. So when the dark clouds of adversity roll in, see, when that happens, when those dark clouds roll in, we're all too often tempted to remember the you and forget the my. We remember the you and we, we depend on ourselves and we forget the one who said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. But we sometimes forget that and we're tempted to depend on ourselves. And if we do that, we will lose so much. Our souls tend to become discouraged so discouraged because what happens in our lives when we start depending on the you instead of the my, our souls become discouraged because we forget to look upward and instead we start looking inward. We focus on the us, on the inward instead of looking upward. And God is saying, you don't look in here. If you're going through something difficult, Let me give you some advice. Don't look in here, okay? There are no bootstraps sometimes, right? I mean, come on, I'm a kind of person, I'm a relentless person. I'm a passionately relentless person. I want to tell you something. There are times in my life where I reach down and there are no bootstraps. You reach deep down inside yourself and you come out with nothing. I'm sorry. No one is that strong. God's saying, why bother with those kind of, why bother getting to that kind of habit? Trust me for all of it. Because when the dark times and the difficult times and the stressful times really come, you'll know how to deal with it. Because you'll be looking upward and not inward. 
In Psalm chapter 42 and verse 5, it speaks to it when it says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. I love Corey Tenboom. She put it this way. Look at self and become distressed. Look at others and become depressed. Look to Christ, look to Jesus, and you'll find rest. Isn't that true? Really simple, but really true. You look to yourself and you get distressed because, like I said, sometimes you look at yourself and you don't have the strength anymore to do it. You look at others to help you out sometimes, and let's just be honest, right? We all have times you become depressed. Where where does my help come from? But you look to Jesus and you find rest. He is the one who enters in and gives you all that you need. One of, one of the most familiar definitions of grace is God's unmerited favor. God's unmerited favor. In this present context that we're talking about here, grace is not some abstract entity. It's not some abstract entity, but it speaks of the supernatural power that is available to Paul. It's the supernatural power that is available to him to help him overcome the burdens and the stresses that are in his life, his weaknesses. It allows him to bear up under the weakness, within his weakness. So it's not some, it's not something out there. It is a supernatural power that is given to you and that is given to me to help us bear up when we face weaknesses and distresses in our lives. Grace is not some intellectual concept, but is a dynamic force. It is not some, just some theological concept you learn at Bible school or in your Bible study or, or whatever else, just some, some thought process. You know, we study so we understand the, the concept of grace, the theological understanding of grace. It is not just a theological concept. It is a divine, dynamic force which totally transformed the life, transforms the life of a believer starting at salvation. It's something that we receive from God. It's something that's in every one of you who know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. But we're not tapping into it much of the time. We talk about it. We sing about it. We read about it. We hear about it. But we're not really tapping into it the way we should. We don't understand the, the, the power that is within us because of the Holy Spirit living in us and the p- resurrection power flowing through us. We don't really get it sometimes. And we don't live it out in our lives. We need to understand the power of grace through Jesus Christ enables believers to endure suffering without placing blame, with, without, being, with, without, without complaining. It enables us to overcome our weakness and our suffering, and through our weakness and our suffering, we give glory to God. It's the opposite of what the world would think happens when you go through something. The grace of God, the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ through the grace of God allows you to glorify God in your suffering. Let me explain something I think most of you know. When a person is going through good times, and here's, this is good times, this upper part, and you're walking through, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, this is great, God is good, God is wonderful, let's sing praises to God, do some holy dancing, right? It's awesome, people are watching you from the outside, boy, what a happy person, and then all of a sudden you walk into the depths of despair. 
something happens in your life. What God is saying is that my power is made perfect in your weakness. My grace is sufficient for you in, in this part of your life, in the difficult part of your life. And what happens is when you have the same attitude, when you, when you glorify God during this part of your life, people see that and it transforms them because they're asking themselves, I don't, they're saying to themselves, I don't understand that. I could see the person being happy, happy, joy, joy, because their family's going well and they have a good job. But all of a sudden they lost their job and this is happening. They had a loss in their family and they're still, they're still glorifying God. I don't understand that, but I want what they have. I gotta, I gotta research this a little more because that's incredible. You can glorify God in your weakness. Things that you never thought possible can happen in your life. When you're going through the most difficult time, God can be glorified through it all. And instead of going through suffering, blaming God or everyone else around you and complaining about it, God uses it to strengthen you and to glorify himself. When a Christian turns away from God and depends on themselves during a difficult time, it always leads to failure in their lives and, dis- and discouragement. Always. When we, when we look inward at the me and not to him, it always leads to failure and discouragement in our lives. And we're wondering what on earth happened. Where is the power of God? Well, the power of God is there. We're not drawing on the power of God. We're drawing on our own power. And when our own power runs out, see, God's power never runs out. And the more we admit up front our weakness, the stronger, the more strength we get to overcome it. It's just, it's, it's a never-ending flow of power. It's constant, constant, constant. If we just acknowledge that we don't have the power to overcome it, he gives us more and he gives us more and he gives us more. Grace is God's supernatural provision to meet my every need when I need it. Not always the way I'd like it, Many times I say, God, we all do this. We pray, God, do this, this, and this, because if you do these things, I'll be better. I'll be fine. Just fix this this way. Let me lay my plan out for you. You hear, check all these things off for me. That's not how it works. But grace is sufficient in my life to meet whatever need I have when I have that need. So now, would you all agree with what I just said? Most of you. Anybody? Say amen if you agree. Amen. Now see, we all agree. We all agree that, that, that Christ is sufficient. Whatever we're facing in our lives, Christ is absolutely sufficient for our lives. Most Christians, me included, okay, would say that he's sufficient. But then my question is, why then do we depend on other things when we go through the difficulties of life? Why do we, as I'm not just talking about Grace Chapel, I'm talking about the body of Christ as a whole, human beings as a whole, why then do we depend on other things when we're going through the challenges, the difficulties, the trials, the stresses of life? Let Let me tell you what I mean. I believe many Christians no longer depend solely, they do to a point, on Christ and his sufficiency. I don't think they depend. I think instead many depend on anesthetizing, and they depend on distraction when faced with life's hardships. They've got to anesthetize themselves because they, they, they just can't deal with it. Instead of drawing from the power of God, they draw from something else. So let me start with the first one, alcohol. 
For many, alcohol has become the choice to numb their pain and their stress. And the difficulty with that as a believer, it will lead you down the wrong road. It will not end up in a good place for you. Now, I was thinking this week, what did the martyrs do when they were facing their trials? Down a few before they went to face the lions? Is that what they did? Right? Anybody have any whatever? This is going to be, man, they're going to set me on fire. And I'm not... Being fun. I mean, they set them on fire, crucify them upside down, feed them to the lions, let the animals tear them apart. And I doubt very much they were all online downing a few before they had to go face the lions. They had to depend on the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Jesus was all that they had and Jesus was all that they needed. Rome wasn't one because a bunch of Christians rode in on horses and took it over. Rome was one for Christianity. Because people were watching and seeing people be martyred and how they were holding up through that whole ordeal. They gave their lives. But they weren't cursing and complaining and shaking their fist at God. And these people were like, what on earth is happening here? Now, I want to be absolutely clear. This is so important to me. I want to be absolutely clear. I don't have an issue with you having wine at dinner. Okay? Or whatever you have wine. I don't have an issue with you having a beer, you know, with your friends watching the game. Matter of fact, many of you probably had way too, a few, too many beers yesterday watching the game. <laughs> if you're a Cincinnati fan, it's like, that's what I'm talking to you, because you're a Cincinnati fan. Okay. God is sufficient to get us through another season, okay? Um, so I don't, I don't, that's not, that's not my, this is important. We need to stay focused on the issue at hand. The issue I'm talking about is replacing the sufficiency of Jesus Christ is Jesus enough with alcohol? That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about. Uh, if we, we'll have another sermon on alcohol and how we should do and blah, 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 okay? But I'm talking about the sufficiency of Christ. We need to stay focused. Do you believe that Jesus is sufficient to get you through the challenges of life? This is an important question. This is an extremely important question because the road to overcoming life's challenges are filled with tempting parking places. The road to getting through life's challenges are filled with tempting parking places. The sufficiency of Christ is the road, but there are all kinds of turnoffs and parking places where you can go. And you can, you can use alcohol, you can use, you know, whatever, whatever you, it is for you. They're, they're there. They're going to be there. So we need to be aware of them when we need to answer this question. Is Jesus Christ sufficient? My issue with alcohol this morning is this. Why? Why? If you tell me in a discussion, oh, I just need it to, I just need it for, then I'm going to challenge your, your way of thinking. I'm going to challenge your thought process. That's what I would like to do this morning. I'm going to challenge your thought process. Because the question is, you need to ask yourself, is Jesus enough? Is, is he enough? See, from time to time, it's really good for us to, to study some of these things in the Bible. We're talking about drinking here. It's important for us to study this in the Bible, to come to an understanding, to understand what the, what the Word of God says about this, because we need to make important decisions in this area, how we're going to deal with this. See, well, the Bible has a great deal to say about drinking and the, and the abuse of drinking, Nowhere in the Bible are you going to find an, an, a passage, that, an absolute passage that says, Thou shalt not drink. doesn't say that. So then we're left to make personal choices on when and how we do it. 
Okay, so all of us here are left to make, some don't want to drink at all. Okay, that's fine. Some have a little bit for the dinner and they have a little, okay, that, that, those are personal choices. But the Bible lays out the importance of why we should and shouldn't do it. The Bible says that never says thou shalt not drink. What it does clearly teach, a little side note here, clearly teach is drunkenness is wrong. Okay, getting drunk is a sin. Drunkenness is wrong. And so you might say to me this morning, well, well, what define drunkenness for me? I will. Unable to clearly think. That's that's drunkenness in the Bible. You are unable to clearly think. Okay, so there's a definition. You anesthetize yourself. You get to the point where you can't think clearly. You do whatever, whatever words you want to use, buzzed or high or whatever else. It is you're unable to clearly think. There are 228 references to wine and hard, hard drink and drunkenness scattered throughout the Bible. One of them is in Proverbs chapter 23, verses 29. It's the only one I'm going to read. Proverbs chapter, 20, chapter 23, verses 29 and following. It says, who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaints? Who has needless bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? Those who linger over wine, who go sample bowls of mixed wine. Why, uh, do not gaze at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. It sounds like a commercial, doesn't it? It's like, don't do that. Why? And this is important. This is, this is important to my, to my point, okay? In the end, it bites like a snake. It poisons like a viper. Your eyes will see strange sights and your mind imagine confusing things. You will be like one sleeping on the high seas, lying on top of the rigging. Some of you getting nauseous right now just thinking about it. They hit me, you will say, but I'm not hurt. They beat me, but I don't feel it. When will I wake up so I can find another drink? Because I need it. I need it to get me through this. I need it to get me through that. But, but it... But the problem is, and this is what I'm trying to point out, is that, it, it, that it, it, it's not what it seems. It, it bites like a snake. It poisons like a viper. It will, it will not take you to the place that you truly want to go. That's what we have to be concerned about this morning. That's what we need to be talking and thinking about this morning. I'm not saying that drinking, ever drinking, is a sin. That the Bible says you should never do it. I'm not saying this passage says if you have a glass of wine that you're sinning. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is the Bible says over and over and over again... It warns us of the dangers of alcohol. And here's the point, how it's deceptive. There it is. It's deceptive. It's deceptive. It leads us away from Christ. When we use it in that way, we're not drawing closer to Christ. It leads us away from Christ. And the results are often devastating. Here's the reality I want you to hold on to. It makes the weak weaker. Someone argue with me, okay? Not right this second. (laughs) It makes the weak weaker. But in Christ, if we depend on Christ, our weakness becomes our strength. We're, we're, we're replacing Jesus with anesthetizing some, some alcohol or something else and you become weaker. But God is saying, in your weakness, I will give you great strength. Our weakness becomes our strength. There's the difference. The concern I have with alcohol in the life of the believer is it promises one thing and it delivers something totally different. It delivers something different. Ann Landers 
years ago, printed a piece about the deceptive nature of alcohol. The, the piece is called Positively Negative. She says, we drank, we drank for joy and became miserable. We drank to get along and got into an argument. We drank for sophistication and became obnoxious. We drank for friendship and made enemies. We drank for sleep and woke up exhausted. We drank to get high and ended up depressed. We drank for medical purposes and ended up sick. We drank to calm down and ended up with the shakes. We drank, we drank for confidence and became afraid. We drank to make conversation easier, but our words became slurred. We drank to diminish our problems and instead saw them multiply. We drank to feel heavenly, but ended up feeling like hell. We drank to cope with life and invited death. See, most of us would recognize the terrible toll that alcohol has on our society in individual lives, but have we really been thinking through the toll it's taking on our families and our children? You know, in our, in our culture, uh, men, throughout the, throughout the years, people recognize that men have a, sometimes have a, a problem with drinking. And so it's kind of accepted. I was reading an article very recently about how, how much more women are drinking. Women are drinking so much more now. And the article pointed out one of the reasons why is because of all the stress that women are under. In this economy, now women sometimes have to go outside and start working again. The problem is not a problem to go out and work outside the home. That's not an issue at all. The problem is that they still have to take on all the roles that they had at home before they went out and started getting a job. Because maybe their husbands aren't jumping in or maybe it's just too much for both of them. But the the wives then, because of their makeup, they feel responsible. And because they feel responsible, they get overwhelmed with all that they have to do. Their minds are exploding with all this stress and all they're losing sleep and they don't have enough time and it's just becoming overwhelming. And the difficulty there is, it's not just people going out clubbing. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Christian women at home drinking in secret because they're not supposed to... See, Christian women can't come out and say, hey, my name is Nancy and I'm an alcoholic. As easily as it is for, as as for men. So that it's become secretive. And so they're dealing with that. And instead of looking to the sufficiency of Jesus Christ, instead of hanging on to Christ, we're numbing our feelings by drinking. We're not dealing with the issue at hand. We're just numbing those feelings by getting, by, by getting drunk or getting high, or whatever you want to call it. And, and, what, and what, what, is the, what is the difficulty for our children? How bad is it for our kids? Well, it's so bad that there are over 3 million teenage alcoholics. It's so bad that over 60% of teenage death, deaths are related to alcohol. It's so bad that over 70% of 12 through 17-year-olds drink on a regular basis. It's so bad, and, and think about this for a second, of teens who commit suicide were drunk at the time of death. That doesn't sound to me like something that is helping someone overcome or deal with the stress and difficulty in their life. It doesn't sound like a solution to a problem. It sounds like a bigger problem. You see, strength and faith and hope and courage and power through God and spiritual and emotional maturity is never, ever, ever found in a bottle. It doesn't come out of a bottle. 
It comes from the Spirit of God living in our lives and giving us the strength to overcome. And if you're a teenager or a younger and you're going through a difficult time, you will not find your answers in the world. You will find them in the Word of God. You will find them through the strength that when you receive Jesus Christ into your life, you just need to tap into that strength. That is where you will find it. Because you will not find it here. Anything, anything, anything that we use as a substitute for Jesus Christ will end badly every time. It will end, it will, all it is, is Satan's way of putting crumbs on the ground and you picking them up and next thing you know, you're, you're somewhere you never thought you'd be. It's a dead end that leads to misery and suffering and nothing else. Now about our second replacement for Christ. Distraction. We go through a difficult time, we're suffering, suffering in some way, and, and my goodness, how often we try to keep ourselves so busy. We need to stay busy, busy, busy. We use noise and we use constant activity to, to keep our minds occupied. We've got to keep our minds occupied. I don't want to think about it. Well, you know, some of you are sitting here smiling, going, man, I came to church to, to, do the, to do that very thing and you're bringing this up and this is really a bummer. I just don't want to get up and walk out because I'm embarrassed, but I'd rather not be here because I don't want you to bring these things up because I'd just rather be distracted. But that's not the answer to your problem. And that's why Jesus had you come here this morning because he knew I was going to be talking about this and he knew you didn't need to be distracted. You need to be confronted in a loving way with your use of distraction instead of solving your problems through the power of Jesus Christ. But we use distraction. And in doing so, we avoid the very issue that we need to be dealing with. But we distract ourselves. We don't want to deal with those things. And so we work and we work and we work and we play and we play and we play and we go and we go and we go avoiding whatever it is that is causing us pain. And God says in his words, come, let us, now listen to these words. It's as opposed to go, 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 work, 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 play, 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 and don't let anybody think about anything. God says, whoa, come, let us reason together. You have a problem? We need to talk about it. You need to sit down with me, take your Bible, Let's sit down and talk this through. Let's look at what I say. You're going through this. What does what my word say? You're struggling with that. What does my word say? Stop. Don't even read now. I want you to be quiet and I want you to reason with me through what you're experiencing. Let's talk about it together. The Bible says that God wants us to listen, that he wants us to be still, that he wants us to be calm. God wants us to wait. God wants us to be patient. God wants us to meditate on his word day and night. He wants us to meditate, but but we won't, see? We won't. We won't, we won't, and and when we slow down even for a moment, we reach for something that are going to block those feelings or ease that pain, so you think. So you think. But it's not true. It's not true. See, the most common misuse, because distraction's not completely bad. I'm not, I'm not throwing out baby out the bathroom. It's not completely bad. The most common misuse of distraction is when we, we, we think that distraction, when we confuse it with a, an actual solution, that's the most common mistake. When, when you take distraction and you confuse it with an actual solution. Some people can use distraction 
as a temporary resting place. You're going through a difficult time. You're going through some really hard things and you are sitting down with your Bible study leaders. You're sitting down with your pastor. You're sitting down with your husband or wife and you're working through. You're sitting down with the Lord. You're reading the word of God. Sometimes distraction is just a good resting place. So you watch, your, you watch a show that you just enjoy watching or you read a book that you enjoy reading and it's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. You just need a little distraction from the work that you're doing solving these problems with the Lord. Not a problem there. But we should never, we should never, never use these distractions to take the place of Jesus Christ and his sufficiency in our lives. Never. If we do that, it's like putting a tourniquet on a big open wound. Okay? You put, it, you put a tourniquet on a wound. It doesn't solve the problem. It's only a temporary fix until you get to the doctor, right? A tourniquet's not wrong, but you need a tourniquet on there for a period of time. It's just a temporary fix until you can get yourself to the doctor and really solve the problem at hand. The distraction, though, is the tourniquet. And all you do is put it on there and just ignore the fact that you're bleeding. And if you don't get to the doctor, you're going to bleed out. It's not going to get any better. See, when you use distraction as a substitute for working out a problem, you always run into trouble. You always run into trouble. It's like the ostrich who sticks his head in the sand. You know, you're going through something and all of a sudden you just put your head in the sand. Oh, it's like, it's like a child. La, 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 I can't hear you. La, 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 la. Right? Someone says, well, you don't want to talk. No, 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 la, 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 I can't hear you. God's the Holy Spirit starts speaking to you about something you need to work. La, 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 I can't hear you. I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. Because if I go there, I don't know what's going to happen. Am I going to, am I going to have the strength to get through it? The answer is no, you're not. But you will have the strength to get through it through the power of God. Do you have the strength on your own to get through it? No, you don't. Can you reach deep down inside and, and find the power of, of the inner being? No, you can't. But when you reach in, what you need to do is hold on to the Holy Spirit of God and the power of Christ's resurrection. Then you can get through it. So the question is, you're afraid to deal with it. And so you're distracting yourself. You're afraid to deal with it because you think you can't. You don't think you have the strength to do it. But that's the point. God's strength is made perfect in your weakness. Admit your weakness and meet you can't get through it. Hang on to Jesus for dear life and he'll get you through it. Yes, you can get through it through the power of God. You not only fail, you not only fail to resolve the problem in your life, but you begin, if you, when you do it the other, when you do it through distraction, but you begin to create a negative process in your life that will not allow you to handle struggles in the future. Hardship develops perseverance. Strength, hardship challenges according to the word of God, they develop perseverance. How do they do that? When, when, I'm going, when Jeff Greer is going through some, something really difficult, I go before the Lord, I read the word, I go before, I spend some time with God and God helps me get through it. And, I, and he walks me through it. And it's hard and I struggle and I cry and I deal, but he helps me get through it. And then all of a sudden, a year later, I go through something else. But you know what? I understand now how to get through it. I depend on God. We've gone through the last one. We'll get through this one. And I create a pattern in my life for overcoming these difficulties in the future. But if all you do is drink yourself into oblivion and, and basically distract yourself with all kinds of activities, when, it, when the problem comes up again, you have, no, you have no background. You have no ability to overcome those things. Nothing was, you haven't been trained. You haven't been strengthened. 
Hardship produces perseverance in Christ. Hardship produces hardship and misery on your own. But when you go through something difficult and Christ helps you overcome it, not only can you get through it yourself, but when someone else goes through it, you can turn around and say, let me help you through this. This is what Jesus did for me. This is what God did for me. Let me explain how God helped me overcome this, how he gave me strength to get through this. I know you're saying you can't get through it. I know you're overwhelmed. Let me share with you how God impacted my life and helped me get through it. That is what God offers. Distraction offers you nothing but endless despair and then what happens is you get you can actually get lost my friends you can get lost in the activity of that distraction you start playing video games they're wrong video games but you start playing video games you start surfing the net you start reading a novel but then the day goes by the week goes by and you never actually deal with the problem at hand because you're so caught up in, in the distraction itself when we depend on the grace of jesus christ it teaches us how to handle life's challenges. And it builds confidence in our lives for the future and the future challenges we're going to face. If we don't have Christ, we're not, we, we have no confidence in ourselves or in God in future trials. We have no confidence because we didn't depend on him. All we did is try to distract ourselves or anesthetize ourselves. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19 says this. It reminds us, and my God will meet all, listen to this again, and my God, my God will meet all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. He can do it all. He has the answer to your problem. He wants you and he wants me to depend on him. We need to make sure we're living out our faith. We need to make sure that we're asking ourselves, why on earth are we looking to the world for answers when their answers never work? Our world is, is in misery and suffering because the answers that they're giving people now, they say there is no God, you don't need this and whatever else, and the answers that the world gives don't satisfy. Why on earth are we looking to the world for answers in distraction or anesthetizing ourselves when they never, ever, and have never, and will never work? They never work. And especially when the Bible says what? Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. They have nothing to offer you but an, end, an endless source of misery. That sounds pretty and looks pretty, looks like it's going to numb this or do that, and all it does is end up making things worse. If you're here this morning and you're suffering for any reason of this, I can assure you, my God, your God, can help you overcome anything that you're struggling with in your life. He will give you all that you need. He is sufficient. Jesus Christ is sufficient to meet all of our needs. This morning as we close out here, I'm going to ask the band to come up and Jen's going to sing a song and the band's going to play this song. And as you listen to the words of the song... I want you, if you feel led of the Holy Spirit, I want you to come forward and I just want you to, to come here and kneel or, or stand and I'd like to pray for you. Now, the music's a little loud, so it's hard to, but, I, but even after the service, we'll stay after. I'd like people to come up and let's pray for each other. Every single one of you has difficulties in your life and struggles. We found out um, yet Friday 
that uh, Jim Bollinger, many of you know him, one of our greeters, found out on Friday he has pancreatic cancer and liver cancer. And Jim came up this morning. We prayed for him. Other people came up this morning. We prayed for them. I want, and you know, some of you thinking, well, see now, you talk about Jim with pancreatic cancer. My problem is so lame. I'm not going to come and pray for that. See, that's where, that's where we're wrong. That's where we, this is where we need to start the process. Let God deal with every problem you have. If you're struggling in a relationship, you're having a little struggle here, whatever it is, God is intimately involved in your life. He wants to hear from you. And I want to hear from you. I'm not going to compare your struggle to his. None of my struggles compared to that. But you know what? I still have struggles. And I still want, to, I want you to pray for me. I need your prayers. And what, what I'm going through in my life, and so do you. So as Jen sings this song, I don't want you sitting there thinking that this is not worthy of a prayer coming up front. It is. Let's pray for each other. Listen to these words and allow the Spirit to speak to your heart. I'll pray as close and close out this morning, but I, I don't want to end the service. I'm going to stay in this sanctuary here and continue to pray for, for folks. And if more people come up then at different times, I ask some of the elders and some of the other church leaders to come up and, and be here as well to pray with you. So let's bow our heads. Father God, thank you for this time that we can spend together. And thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit. And thank you, God, for the truth of your word that we, we should completely depend on you that we should put aside all other things that, that are trying to, to come into our lives and take your, take your place, that we renounce those things in our lives, even now, Lord God, that we would leave here today and leave them behind. They get us nothing. They bring us nothing but misery. They lead us further away from you. So we pray, dear God, that you would be sufficient in each of our lives, that your son Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection would be all that we need and all that we cry out for when we go through difficult times. And we'll give you the praise and glory for we know you're going to do in every life here this morning through the power of your son, whose blessed name we pray. Amen.